I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, today, I am catching up with my good friend, Andrew Ramondi, as we talk about all things coronavirus quarantine, um, all the things that we're binge watching on YouTube, Netflix, and what we're trying to, what we're doing to keep ourselves occupied. So Andrew, thanks for coming back onto the podcast. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for having me. I mean, this is, I think, really the first or maybe second non-sports-related podcast we've ever done. It's probably the first. I'm trying to think. I thought maybe we did one else, one other one, but I don't think we did. We haven't really talked since the NBA. Well, we, we have talked. We haven't talked on, on your podcast since the NBA cancellation, which was what, like, God, how long ago now? A month ago? Yep. It's been about a month. It's been about yeah. a month now. So, so which which is wild in and of itself. It's it's we're in this weird purgatory where time is moving incredibly fast and incredibly slow at the same time. But uh, yeah, man, good good to be back chatting with you for sure. Yeah, and I do want to give you a quick shout out, um, especially because Andrew actually start he ended up hosting a radio show back in the day when he was in college and he actually had me on and our other good friend Chris Cardone on the pot or basically his radio show, um, to talk about um our adventures on Hinge and stuff like that. So if you guys want to go check that out, I'll probably link it um in the description when I post this podcast. But uh yeah, you guys can get our takes on hinge and, and the whole online dating culture and how we feel about that in the context of uh coronavirus. But anyways, Andrew, other than other than spending your time on hinge, what what else have you been up to in terms of just like um in terms of like what type of like media have you been consuming? Like what other types of um things have you been doing to try to keep yourself busy yeah man thanks thanks for bringing up the radio show i mean uh it's kind of more of really a podcast with with a few songs spliced in but uh yeah it was fun to have you on and thanks thanks for uh plugging that um but i think that actually goes to kind of my general philosophy when it comes to surviving this this stuff which is to try and kind of do as many things other than look at my phone basically and look at the computer as possible. I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a very funny, I remember tweet when, when this was all first starting, that was like widely parodied and it was this girl's uh, like quarantine schedule. And it was like very regimented and it was like, you know, nine to 10 AM like meditate. You know what I mean? Like just yep. a very idealized version of what you'd be doing. And then it was very roundly parodied by people being like my quarantine schedule. And it was like, you know, get up, like look at my phone, take a nap, look at my phone, go to bed basically. So, so I've been trying to basically just not, not do that as much as possible. Um, like, uh, like you said, a lot of, a lot of like ambient time watching YouTube or, or scrolling through Twitter or now flicking through Hinge or, or whatever, what have you. I mean, I've tried to at least devote a couple hours a day to, to, to things that aren't looking at a screen. Like, for the first time in probably 10 years, 
honestly, I've been forcing myself to read. I've been reading for an hour or so every day. Uh, I've, I've gone out. I've forced myself to get outside every day. I'm not a huge exercise guy, but even if it's kind of just sitting in my backyard or, or walking around the neighborhood, that's that's kind of been something to do. But then, and you know, but then again, there's a lot of. I've been watching a lot of movies. Um, I'm I'm a big movie guy and. It had been a few years I, in college. I would watch movies all the time, but I hadn't. And there's been a giant backlog to kind of catch up on. So, so that too. But I found that the more I kind of structure my time out and don't just kind of like, you know, I am sitting around, but at least structure my sitting around. I've, I've found it kind of okay. I mean, me and you were talking about this. I don't know if your opinions changed. You know, my mood on a day-to-day fluctuates, you know. <laughs> there are kind of <laughs> periods of, like, oh, I'm fine, and then periods of, like, mild depression. But um, I think I, me and you were both saying that, like, I, I haven't found the, the social aspects of things to be too um, too overbearing, as it were. Like, yes, certainly do I wish I could go out and go out to a bar, go out and hang out with my friends, yes. But I, I haven't felt super lonely, uh, uh, you know, and I think part of that is like we're doing school three days a week in these in these kind of Zoom type calls and stuff like that. So I mean, I wish sports were on and stuff like that, but it's not <laughs> it's not the worst thing in the world. I think I'm I'm a little bit more optimistic than the average person, but possibly I know this has been a giant rant. I kind of as as you know and as we talked about on the last on the last pod we did, I was kind of an early COVID scared guy. So I feel like I got all of my fear and misery and bargaining with how long this is going to be out of the way early. And now I'm just focused on kind of living things day to day. Uh, What about you, man? (laughs) I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I do have to give you kudos in terms of you being early on the COVID-19 like bandwagon slash doomsdayer kind of like forecaster of all of this because you're you're the one that was just like yeah this is gonna blow up like we're not yeah I mean out not even like, not nearly as bad as as even I thought at the beginning for sure but um yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember having that talk with you, and I was like, eh, I'm not sure, and then, like, it turned out to be worse than we both of us could have ever imagined. But, I mean, for me, it's kind of interesting that you talked about, like, the moods in terms of fluctuations of moods and things like that, because actually earlier today, so I'm cooking lunch, and um, we've had, like, a our fire alarm system has been kind of faulty. So it's been overly sensitive in terms of like taking, like if it like there's any scent or sense of like smoke in the home, like the fire alarm will go off. And my, my parent, I'm living with my parents. And so I'm living at home. My mom's working at home. She's been working at home for the past two weeks. And she was like on an important conference call or whatever. And the fire alarm starts going off while I'm cooking and she was like what is going on in there and I'm just like I literally can't stop the smoke from like <laughs> from, I can't stop the process so like I shut down the 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 stove and everything and it's still going off because there's that res- residual smoke coming off of like 
the burger that I'm cooking on the stovetop. And then, and it's still going off and, and it goes off like every 30 seconds to a minute until like after she gets off of her call, she starts, she comes over to me and she's like, I'm trying to close the deal. And she was getting like raising her voice at me. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I'm sorry. But then I came back at, came back with like a raised voice and pretty upset being like, I'm literally doing everything I can to like manage the kitchen. So I felt like getting, I was getting reamed out by Gordon Ramsay. That being is on one of, one yeah. of those shows and just being like, and, and I, I came back with fire and was like, I can't control this at all. So uh, that I, I think this today was probably the worst in terms of tipping point slash boiling point. Um, of of raised emotions uh, yeah, within I, the I, Wu household. I kind of have a funny story too that that happened yesterday related to that. I mean, like I, I, I the good thing about my my family, um, you know, I I live at home as well. I'm one of I'm one of five. I have two younger siblings and um, my my two parents, and you know, I the the personalities are kind of all over the place, and and you know, I I'm not always the most like calm i'm i'm a little bit of a neurotic person and you know there's a lot of different personalities in the house but i think we've been getting along quite quite well considering everything but it's kind of has its has its moments and i've kind of tried to be mature and learn to kind of ride them like a roller coaster and realize like when i'm maybe being annoying and and hoping that people realize it the same way so for example I mean, this story has a little bit of it. it I hope people find it funny. But um, so yesterday I got up. Uh, I I did my. We had I had an employment class from from eleven to like, or from nine thirty to eleven or something. And I'm doing stuff or whatever. I come out around noon to make lunch. And my dad had gone out had gone out to the grocery store. We've been going like once a week or so. You know, just trying to trying to make things last to have you know, for social distancing reasons, but right, um, right, right. we've been also like cooking every night and like, we've been all sitting down to dinner every night, which like we never really had done for years and years because, um, because like people are, even though we all live at home, like I'm going to school, my sister's in high school and that stuff going on. My brother works like, you know, my mom works, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. So because of that, like people weren't so much, my mom wasn't like cooking every meal, but now she is. And there's a lot of like leftovers and different things. And for some reason, a thing just like that gives me a lot of, it's not like anxiety, but like, I'm very not particular, but like, I think a lot about like, I'm a food guy and I think a lot about like what I'm going to eat and I don't want food to go bad and I want to eat the right leftovers, but I want to eat something I, I'm enjoy. You know what I mean? I, right, I, right. Like to, I don't like to just eat a crappy lunch. I want to eat a good lunch that I can look mm-hmm. forward to. So I'm, uh, to to kind of bring this story to to its point, my dad comes home with like all of this food or whatever, and there's like a ton of food, and there's also all these leftovers and stuff in the house, and I start like kind of, kind of having this little not it's not a freak out, but I start kind of like worrying about like I'm saying out loud like what am I supposed to eat like we have all these leftovers like there's all this food like things are gonna start going bad like and my dad is like. Andrew, at the grocery store, 
today, a woman was next to me just sobbing, just openly crying in the grocery <laughs> store. And he's like, I'm not going back there, like, until I absolutely have to. Like, you don't mm-hmm. under, like, you haven't really had to go out. Like, you don't understand, like, how much I really don't want to have to go out to the grocery store again. And I literally just had to be like, you know what, that's, that's, that's a fair point. Maybe fair it doesn't point. matter whether, like, I have to eat leftovers or make new food or not like i i you know everyone's everyone's doing their best some more than others so yeah totally and like speaking of food and like in terms of like the video like consumption of like what i'm watching like i know me and you back and forth have been enjoying a lot of the uh bon appetit videos on youtube so we've been like binge watching those keep that's like the one thing that's like keeping me sane like watching watching the rest of those and then watching like different shows on netflix like ugly delicious was something that i uh the second season of ugly delicious was something that i binged early on with during like uh the covid19 uh quarantine and then like this huge like i guess swell of people i from like social media and everything um got a lot of people on this tiger king thing and this yeah. and like it became like this huge social media phenomenon I, I was just like looking at some of like doing some research before uh we got on the podcast but i believe like within the first 10 days that netflix released tiger king um about 40 million people ended up watching it um so like significant amount of people were watching it it became like this cultural like movement like someone in the white house press secretary or like they basically asked trump during his press conference yesterday like hey what are you going to do about joe exotic exotic and his pardoning uh like request or whatever and and trump responds that he's going to look into it so it's kind of come full circle um in terms of like being within the the social media to like the cultural um cultural like zeitgeist like type of like um like area of where people talk about stuff yeah and and before we go into maybe tiger king i know we wanted to kind of bounce bounce some just just kind of debrief with each other i i did want to say i do think there is a a lot i tend to skew towards the more philosophical i know but i do think there's there's a point there when it comes to stuff like tiger king and also when it comes to stuff like us watching the bon appetit youtube every day i think like we've lost so many of like the cultural kind of things that usually bind us together like sport like you know me and you were used to being able to come home on a Wednesday night and there's a NBA game on or something like that and every week you know or once every couple of months like a Marvel movie comes out or there are these things that like just kind of we not take for granted but that we kind of use as these these societal markers and almost like anchoring points and like, especially our media consumption. And a lot of them are really gone away. So I think on one hand, we look for things like I just look for the Bon Appetit YouTube channel. If there's a new video posted every day, just because like, that's a nice comfort that I know will be there and that I can spend half an hour, like enjoying and not thinking about anything else. And I think Tiger King and uh, something like that dropped it just like, the perfect time because everyone's 
at home, you know, we're used to, and I'm not the first person to bring this up, our, the way we watch TV now is so scattered. Everyone's watching things at different times. And this was something that everyone was watching more or less. Like, for example, I only started watching it a couple of days ago and finished it last night. So I was a little late, but everyone more or less was watching it and talking about it in, in the, in a one week span. I'm sure it came up in hinge conversations all across America, you know, and we, we don't have that many things like that for Netflix, for Netflix. I would guess the last, the other two things I can think of are like season one of stranger things and like bird box, I guess. But uh, it's been quite a while for sure. Yeah, totally. And I think it's like, this has definitely been like, one of the one of the shows that you mentioned that have really cultured like it it was just the right timing in terms of like when most people were starting to get quarantined and they're kind of looking for things to do at this point and yeah this it just came out at the right time and it was the perfect combination of just like really interesting characters and really wacky like put in a wacky like backdrop Mm-hmm. situation and for these people to kind of like all right they go wild and they like go flourish in front of the camera <laughs> so like it really just made it really fascinating to to see a different side of um like a different I guess like environment that I would never really be that interested in at all and really captured me like from the very first episode. So, so, so given that, unless you had something that you wanted to ask me, I, I kind of wanted to, I wanted to get a sense because I've certainly, okay. I took the whole thing in, in a, in a very particular way. And there are a lot of aspects I wanted, wanted to talk about with you. Mm-hmm. But um, I was just wondering, like, if there's one coming away from or watching it, like, if there's one person or one storyline or one one bit that like has really stuck with you because you kind of I I only finished it last night so I'm wondering now I don't know how long it's been since you've watched it like what's the number one thing you found yourself either talking about with people or or thinking about since you finished watching it I mean should we get the big like elephant like in the room out of the way because I think it's just kind of like the whole like Carol Baskin storyline of her like potentially. Okay, I have an extraordinary. I'm I'm surprised you brought this up right away. Go go. I'm just well, I'm getting excited. No, it's just because I think it's fat. I think this was the first. I think this was one of the bigger things that was trending out of all of the other storylines that we could kind of touch upon. And we're going to pretty much touch upon all of the storylines that ended up coming out of this. But I, I mean, I think this was the one where it really captured a lot of people's attention. Like, did this person actually murder her ex-husband to the point where she fed his remains to the tigers? Like, and to like the to to like lions and tigers and different body it it just kind of gruesome to even think about and the like the social media like conversation was very like i found it really fascinating it was that it was so unanimous in like yeah it's like she probably did it it's so so why don't you why don't you all right i i'll just 
I can't believe you brought this up right away because you're letting me get my biggest hot take out right away. I was no, we, get, and I didn't realize I didn't realize how because I was looking at stuff on Twitter, and I guess I did know that this had existed even before I went into the show, but I didn't realize how unanimous it was. And Kevin, are are you ready? Yeah, I think Carol Baskin's innocent. I don't think she killed her husband. Okay. No, I, I no. When I, I was saying that the other day, like I don't mean to be a buzzkill. Like no. I don't. It's like literally all the tweets I were looking at. I was looking at because I was like, I just hears Carol Baskin innocent to see like who thought I would, who also thought this, and it was maybe like three to five percent, and the best, the saying. rest was basically like, I don't trust you. If Like, basically being like, you're a fucking psychopath if you don't think this woman somehow got away with murdering her husband. So, right. I, why don't you set up, because I'm interested in what you think, and maybe you can kind of set up, I'm assuming you're in the, in the majority as well, and you can kind of set it up, and then so, I can give you right. my rebuttal, as it were. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm I'm okay. So I guess what I want to do from this is kind of take a little bit of a step back in terms Mm -hmm. of like how usually documentaries and like these true crime, like this whole true crime drama, like of like starting with the podcast serial and all these like different true crime, like documentaries that have come out, um, especially that have proliferated on Netflix, like, don't F with cats. The Aaron Hernandez documentary was fairly interesting as well. Kind of like exploring that, like there's like a lot of these true crime documentaries that are on Netflix that I think a lot of people, like it's usually their first exposure to the topic or the source material. And a lot of the times that's like the only thing that people are exposed to in terms of what they um, what they watch or what they, how they interact with some of that information. And a lot of the times the, what the filmmaker, what the documentarian is really trying to do is try to put the most compelling story out there to make people continue to watch what the documentary or continue to watch the episodes. Um, so I'm a little bit, I would say I'm a little bit more on the fence. Like I'm not saying that she's, I think she's innocent because you never really know, but I'm also not just like on the firmly, like she definitely did it um, either. But I think like if I had to lean one way or the other, there's a couple of things that are fairly troubling to me when I was like, Oh, and, and, and don't, don't um, like, maybe I should clarify my position a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, because I think you did a great job and this is a great way to kind of set up, you know, me, like, I'm not like a contrarian per se. And I enjoyed the document. I enjoyed this on the whole. I just have some thoughts about it, but you know, I tend to, I'm not necessarily a contrarian, but I'm just very, like, I have my way of thinking about things and I filter it through that lens. And occasionally it ends up being very different from what other people think. And I'm, pretty opinionated, but I thought the true crime thing you brought up is extremely important because one, I'm fairly skeptical and don't tend to love true crime documentaries as much as, as the average person. And I also found the true crime elements of the 
of the series on the whole kind of to be the least enjoyable parts of it. Like I found the first three episodes when you were just kind of building the world and at this kind of relationship between these three people and these wacky owners and their egocentricness to be very enjoyable. And then in the last four episodes, when it kind of turns into this web of, of lies and deceit and kind of the more tragic human elements, it, I, I found it less, funny kind of quote unquote but putting that aside my problem with these true crime documentaries on the whole and I don't know I don't think the director was necessarily doing it here because I think he was it was interesting because I looked up this guy I forget what his name is it's like Eric Good Don Good is that what you said Eric Good Eric Good Good. so interestingly this guy has never directed a documentary before and he's actually an animal rights He's like a conservationist, which I think think becomes clear in the very last scene of the show, but they don't necessarily do a good job of reinforcing enough throughout the, throughout the documentary. We can circle back around to that later, but I do think what you said, this guy had so, I think he very much leans into, especially early on in the the series, like, I'm rambling a little bit, but there was this old docu- there's this old genre of movies called exploitation films. Like there were these movies like Shaft, where it was like black exploitation, where it was kind of like these almost stereotypical, not stereotypical, but somewhat sensationalistic, pulpy movies where like they weren't meant to be that serious and they were very over the top and they kind of leaned into people's like basis desires kind of what they wanted to see and I thought that's kind of what this documentary was in a lot of ways like it was and it not in a bad way because it's very entertaining but it's kind of leaning into the worst impulses as it were so to get to my final to get to the point and then maybe I can throw it back at you and we can talk more about the Carol Baskin stuff mm-hmm. I thought that he very much leaned into the story and presented the story in that way without giving you the whole picture. So my, my kind of takeaway is that like, I just don't in the criminal law, you know, where you're innocent until proven guilty and it's our highest standard of proof because your, your Liberty gets taken away. If you're guilty, like there wasn't enough there beyond like, mostly circle circumstantial stuff to kind of overwhelm me. And we can get into kind of the more hardcore evidence because believe there is some there, but, but the points I kind of wanted to make were this one, it does not get they, the documentary does not give you a good idea of like what her first husband was actually like. And I think sort of underplays the fact that this was probably a very, crazy and somewhat shady character in and of himself so like just a couple of the things we know about him he left his first family for carol baskin pretty much apropos of nothing in the first place and in their first meeting he gave her a gun and had her pointed at him as they drove around he is told his housekeeper says that he was 
constantly burying money and gold everywhere and didn't have a trust of the government, probably meaning that he was involved in some fairly shady, possibly criminal business dealings himself. He took trips to Costa Rica and Miami frequently. And uh, I just, Costa Rica and Miami are places where a lot of people die and, and do criminal things without overgeneralizing completely. And And the fourth point is that Literally every person that he interviews to kind of build this case around Carol Baskin and her first husband's relationship are, one, his estranged family, who were obviously very angry that they didn't receive any inheritance and probably don't want to believe that their father would cut them out of the will, even though that that happens and it's very possible that he just did that. And then former employees of the man who lost a probably fairly substantial pecuniary interest by his death as well. So kind of I'm just overly skeptical compared to the average person, I think, because I, I it's it's a fairly one-sided per- portrayal in terms of in terms of the the deck is a little stacked against her in in my opinion. Oh yeah, totally. And I think like obviously the documentarians didn't do her any favors with like the way they positioned like who they interviewed and how they set up the storyline and everything like that. And I think it was kind of building towards like hey, like she's setting up herself in this way with the way she um, is coming off and pr- I think it was like this was like later end of the second episode or even the third episode when all these like the talks about her like her missing ex-husband um, came up and like before that she kind of like came off as like this conservationist but then the documentarians kind of made it like well you can think of her like that but she has this other side yeah. and I think that was kind of like to picture and cast some doubt as to like who she actually was as a person yeah like if I had to put percentages on it in terms of whether or not she did it like I'm not saying I would probably lean more towards innocent and if especially like if I were on a jury you can't convict her on any of the evidence like that we've been given especially with us going through law school and all that stuff but there were just like a couple curious things that they oh like, yeah there there like, definitely are there definitely like, are like the was it either the will or the insurance like okay so i wanted to talk about this did you because did I you thought, find that particularly I thought, legal, I thought the fact that maybe people are going to find this boring and maybe they're not i thought this was another that was another area where like Yes, there is something there, but I don't think the show does a very good job of explaining to you what exactly happened and makes it so. So I'll, I'll set it up the way I, I remember it and kind yep. of talk about what I thought about it. And then you then you can you can come in. And by the way, I want to talk about this at the end. I don't think her being innocent of murdering her husband makes her a good person. I thought the show did a very good job of showing that she was as ego driven as any of the other kooky characters in this show. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought the parallels between all three people were, were fairly fascinating. And that's what I was thinking the most about as the show came to an end. But basically it sets up this idea that after her husband died, like she went back in and kind of maybe replaced 
whatever his will was with a different will, or at the very least what I think happens, because then they kind of set it out to be like that, but then they talk about how he she had to wait until five years had passed before, you know, before she could do anything. So I'm guessing it was something maybe related to, like, power of attorney at, mm-hmm. at first. But but the thing I kind of wanted to say was it doesn't do a very – so the, the key and the thing I will fully admit to is that whatever this document they're talking about, and I'm not particularly sure what it is based on what the, the show says, it says death or disappearance, and they make a point of noting that that is very – uncommon now is that actually true the only person who says that is his lawyer we don't really know if that's actually true or not in terms of this maybe power of attorney type stuff as opposed to a will because that i think it was power of attorney because she still had to wait for him to be declared legally dead to do anything they make a very big point of saying that five years in a day after then he did all this stuff, which I thought also wasn't particularly fair because I think most people would want to start doing stuff with the assets as soon as possible. It's not like mm-hmm. five years is a short amount of time for someone to be missing and you should still be necessarily waiting longer than that. But but setting that aside, the other thing we've learned about like wills and stuff like that, I feel like legally is that Professor they're not Bacow. as easy to kind of like Forge. There are a lot of like pretty strict requirements. I, I don't know what Florida is like specifically, but they need to be witnessed by multiple people or they need to be like handwritten. And if you and if someone wants to challenge a will based on what based on how many pe- these all these people seem to have a problem with it, I didn't look it up, but you'd assume there was some sort of legal proceeding around it. Right. You know, the the point I was trying to make was, like, it's not as easy to just, like, go in and switch up a will as, as I thought the, the, the documentary kind of made it out to be. They kind of brushed over, I thought, a lot of the, the details that would be required to do that. Yeah, I think it was I think it was just, like, one of those interesting caveats. Like, if you're not, like, within the legal world, that could kind of, like, catch your eye and just, yeah. like, here's, like a shiny ball like right in front of you and like this is one of those things that maybe you should pay attention to if you're like just a a regular viewer um but yeah i i found it really i found it interesting how those things kind of interplayed with like our real lives and like what we're learning and there was so much there was so much related to that i mean so there was we, me and you took an entertainment law class together last semester, which I don't feel like I learned that much from candidly, but there's a copyright case in, I think the third or fourth episode that, and I was like going through all the, basically the whole reason he, I mean, he hates Carol Baskin, Joe Exotic to begin with, but there's this copyright case where he ends up having a million dollar judgment against him. So it was very interesting for them to show all the, and he lost on, they granted summary judgment for her, which Mm -hmm. like the plaintiff, which is like pretty fucking hard to to have happen in the law. Like you pretty much have to have like the most airtight case possible because that means if summary judgment is granted for you as a, at a plaintiff, 
as a plaintiff that the judge thinks that no jury would find for for the defendant. So it was that blatant. And when you saw kind of like it was patently clear that he was trying to rip off her logo and trick people into thinking he was Big Cat Rescue or whatever. But it was so and then like stuff related to the lands. They're talking about all these deeds, the way he's moving money around the way she's collecting on the judgment, and of course then later all the criminal stuff. It kind of becomes like a legal thriller to some extent right. in the last four episodes, which, which I found kind of interesting based on our, our law school experience. Right, and this is very insider baseball, but could you imagine this being like a future legal fact pattern for like a law school essay I, or something sure, like that? I'm sure it will be, and frankly, if I if I were if I were writing my law review comment now, I would certainly like examining the legal issues of Tiger King is a law paper that I'm sure will be written in the next two years. Right. Definitely. So, so anyways, getting back to some of the Carol Baskin stuff, yeah. like whether or not I think she's a murderer. I think one of the, <laughs> like, like, yeah, just addressing this small issue. Like there was just like, I, I just thought there were like, it wasn't even necessarily that much evidence that was against her that was like suspicious. It was just more like, I thought she was a weird person. Yeah. Like yeah. a very like, and in comparison to like all the other characters in, in there, like in terms of how she like carried herself, she was still really weird. Like well, there was that. Yeah. Yeah. There was that Keep going. Point. I'm sorry. Like I, I just I, am, I'm taking in a lot of what you're saying. Yeah, I just had that, like, one image in my head where they're, like, her and her current husband are on their honeymoon, and he's, like, dressed up like a a tiger, and she has him on a leash, and it's it's just, like, a a really weird picture to take. There's also, so I also did some, like, digging, because obviously this is kind of, like, something that I was fairly interested in. And there were, there was reports out that she actually had a second restraining order against her um, right after the disappearance of her, her ex-husband, um, Don, I, what, what's his name? Don uh, Lewis. Oh, uh, Don Lewis, I think. Yeah. So right after her ex-husband disappears, she ends up meeting this other guy, dating this guy, and this was not in the documentary at all, and his name was Jay Bacall. And, and he, this guy ends up taking out a restraining order against her, um, the same thing that Don Lewis did, um, her ex-husband, and he was kind of referencing some of the things that were, like that that Carol Baskin had told him during the course of like I guess their tip and what ended up happening was like he wrote down that um like he was scared of her like um he was like asking like what he thought if um like you know her her former husband's like family should go watch like should wa- he should watch his back and like she kind of referenced how um he was like what am i supposed to do here and like she was like she was talking about how um her ex-husband like dead bodies can't talk like all of this is written and like public information written 
in a restraining order. And I found that somewhat compelling. Like, yeah, behind closed doors, this woman might be a crazy person. No, that and, is, that is, yeah. Keep going. And I'm sorry. I think that can kind of play a role and, and play a role in some of like the fear aspects of like why someone why this person is a potentially scary person yeah. to be living with. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, like maybe it doesn't, maybe she didn't get to the point of like actually killing someone, but the fact that there was like some like shady things with like her brother being in like the share, like some of those connections, like her father being involved in some of those things, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's the most it's a compelling, compelling piece thing. of the most compelling piece of evidence is a hundred percent the restraining order. Um, mm-hmm. I I mean, if you're, I have no reputation for that by by any means. I have no reputation for that unless he was doing that as some sort of kind of pretext, as that so that when he um, unless like he actually legitimately disappeared to Costa Rica and set it up well. Because another thing I found fairly, fairly compelling was uh, I think his housekeeper talked about the last conversation he had with him. Don Lewis said to him something along the lines of, this will be the slickest thing I ever did if I can pull it off, which to yeah. me intimated that he was he was planning something. Now, whether that was some sort of business endeavor that went awry or escaping to Costa Rica, who knows? Um, but I a hundred percent agree that the restraining order is, is the worst piece of the worst piece of information in, in her favor, uh, or in, in favor of her having killed her husband. Right. And this is for sure. And I had a friend tell me about that other restraining order too. So I wanted to, I, once again, I want to circle back around. I, I don't think this makes her a good person by any means. Um, and I think the narrative, it's another kind of thing of I agree. I think it's probably true to some extent, but I do think the movie, I do think the movie, the, the show rather sets it up in this way. And I was, I think people and the kind of way I saw people reacting to it on Twitter or something, the narrative, the show sets up it's, and it's something we've seen before. It sets up the idea of her, she, like you said, she's obviously so weird and has this kind of faux, hippie, calm, nice demeanor. And it's obviously clear that she's as fucked up and evil and self-centered and, you know, weird as any of the other people in this documentary. It, that's obviously true. and But I think the cognitive dissonance you see there sets up people to hate her a lot more than to hate someone like Doc Antle, who we can put a pin in this. I think Doc Antle is the most evil character in the show. Um, by the way, I also don't think Joe, I think Joe Exotic was innocent of the murder for hire stuff as well. We can, okay, <laughs> we can go into it. that. Yep. Yeah, we'll yep. be on this. We'll be on this phone call for two hours. Yeah. But um, I just wanted to point out that I think the the narrative that you were alluding to is very persuasive. And I mean, we not like to be like we're law students. We know everything. But you learn so much about how like the facts and narratives really shape the way we, we view these things as much as anything that's stone cold evidence. And I think in her case, the narrative is possibly the most damning thing of all. Right. And I think, I think you had like probably the best point there 
um, in terms of the cognitive dissonance leading to people not liking her, it's because it's, it's because like she comes off as this person of like, we are trying to save this wildlife. And whereas like there, she is so separate and cannot see some of the things and the hypocrisy that she is participating in. I think that's what's leading a lot of people to being like, well, you're just like the rest of them. Um, And I think that, it was just, it, I just wanted to like reiterate that point. And yeah, no, she's good. Point I think that she is. definitely is in a way like I, you know, I, me, I'm kind of a little bit of a critical, but I thought the themes and the parallels between all three of the kind of major players, uh, I mean, I'm not getting into like Jeff Lowe, but like between Doc Cantle, Joe Exotic and her, they all have this like army of brainwashed volunteers they're all using these animals to basically like feed their own egos in a way. And none of them really care about these animals at all. Like, yes, she's operating behind the pretense of, of doing so, but you know, she, whatever, it's obviously clear. She's showing them to people and using them as kind of a means of, of making money and, and really just, just doing it pretty much the same actions dressed up in a different cloak. Totally agree. And that's kind of like what my thinking on it was, even though she might have like a slicker operation, a better looking operation, like she's still at the end of the day, in some ways taking advantage of these animals. Um, One of the things, and like, I can't believe we're 40 something minutes into the podcast and we've been just stuck on Carol Baskin. Like she's a very compelling character in all this, but I think like the real, like, if you want to say star of the show and like all the antics that come with him is Joe exotic and like all the people that are kind of like talking about like just the craziness, like, and you know, like how I like pretty much overuse that word crazy to define like all the things that are happening in this world. Like, he is literally the definition of like what you would see in terms of craziness and all the things that have happened to him throughout his life. And like, you really can't make someone like that up. And it's, I think that's like one of the things just to like, like what, what, like out of like all the stories that kind of like, touch Joe Exotic, what was like one of the, what was like the most interesting thing about him to you? It's bad now because I, I'm gonna, I'm, uh, well, all right, I'll, I'll try and, I found there to be this kind of very tragic element to him um, mm-hmm. as, as, as time went on. Like, I think the, the, the documentary very much turned to me when his, his husband acts, one of his husbands accidentally kills himself. But, yeah. um, but, uh, but to, to kind of, it doesn't have to be so sad to start, but kind of the overall, uh, there, there's so many movies and TV shows and documentaries about like performers and kind of like why people like to perform and like kind of the ego driven, the ego driven desire to be kind of the center of attention and and something and stuff like that. And I thought the, the, 
that was like this was one of the most like fascinating displays I've ever seen of that kind of theme. Like the extent to which this guy built a world around this persona and like what he would do to kind of like keep some sort of eyes on him. And you saw kind of like even in his love life and stuff like that. And to the extent that this guy needed attention and love and adoration from other people and kind of how that fed into everything he did. And like these, at the end of the day with all three of the people, like these tigers kind of being a means of like getting people to like you and pay attention to you basically. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was something I found really fascinating. Like, obviously the guy is, is, is a crazy character. Like I, I, we can, we can talk about that. And that's kind of how people pitched it to me. Just like, there are so many crazy characters and yes, it's obvious that he's crazy. Like he had two husbands. He's a gay redneck with a mullet with like a extremely weird voice, like all, all these other things. Um, but, uh, that that was kind of the thing that kept that kept ringing in my head, especially the fact that like if you have the right like confidence and like a little bit of charisma, like you can do so much without being told, like without being kept in check in any way. You know what I mean? Yep. And. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the thing that as a viewer, like obviously the, the persona is very outlandish, but I think what I find myself thinking and what a lot of people find themselves thinking is like, how does someone like this exist? And it's not necessarily because of the elements of their personality. It's it's what they're able to, to get away with doing. And the kind of, I found myself thinking about that over and over. What about you? Well, I think one of the fascinating things coming out of, this and like some of like it's kind of weird how like people would like the guy that's in jail for 20 years for attempting to like hire someone to murder another person is probably a little bit even more beloved than the person that is like that he hired to murder like in carol baskin in terms of like like twitter and like just social media stuff like points of views it's kind of interesting to see like and i think part of it is kind of like at the core of who Joe exotic is as a person is like, look at the people that he tried to help. And (laughs) like, like in terms of like, he was like looking out for, I'm putting this in quotations, like the common man. I'm going to push back on this statement a little bit when, when you're finished, but keep sure. sure. I'm fine with you making it out because I don't completely disagree with you, but. but like kind of like, kind of like helping out the common man giving people second chances and like helping people as they're you know down on their luck having a tough time like all the people that he's hired like was hiring and things like that trying to take care even though they were like shitty conditions that they were living in that like i was absolutely disgusted by some of the living conditions that uh like he was providing them to live in but it was just kind of like I think I think that's kind of where some people could kind of see like there being somewhat of a redeeming quality. There are like moments of like, oh, like he's like helping the community out by cooking Thanksgiving dinner mm-hmm. for you. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's like little moments like that where he like 
at the end of the day, he is like trying to draw attention to himself and his business, but he is still putting some good out there in the world that people are like, yeah, he's like a crazy character and everything, but he's not ultimately harming that many people. Like, yeah. And I think like, I think no, that, that is quick- true. I, I, I see there being an argument. I'm not sure i i mean if carol baskin killed her husband that obviously puts her i was actually going to ask you like to rank from from i'm interested uh, we can go back to the joe let me do the joe exotic thing and then i'll throw the question to you Uh, the one thing i would push back on was i do agree that it's possible to make the argument that he has the quote-unquote best heart out of any of the the major players but he's still one he is he is probably treating the animals the worst out of any one of the yeah, major yeah, yeah. three people. And the other thing is, like, I was very the 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 the, the video the show doesn't necessarily go into this, but he was also at the very least, possibly with his workers too. You know, like you said, he's keeping them under shitty living conditions and basically using people who have no other options as his workforce. I yeah. I think the most sympathetic characters in the in the show on the whole, would you agree? The only people I came out really thinking were really liking were the people who worked for him. The yeah. the lady with one arm, the and the two yeah. kind of zookeeper type people. You you went away from these from the their kind of roles in the stories and their interviews thinking like oh these are these seem to be good people who just like wanted to earn an honest living in in the best way they could kind of and also enjoyed doing this outlandish thing but i was gonna say i think joe exotic was probably at the very least the way he got his husband seemed to be by taking 19-year-old boys and plying them with, yeah. with drugs until they married him. So I'm not sure he was was necessarily – his heart was in the right place in that respect. But I wanted to ask you this question. Okay. On the scale of most to least evil, I wanted to give you Joe Exotic, Doc Antle, um, Jeff Lowe, and Carol Baskin. How would you rate them most, most to least evil? Most evil to least evil? Yeah. I'll give you mine while you think about it. Okay. I think Doc Antle is number one, and I'll get back to him in a second. Okay, I we're think, moving there next, but then, I yeah. Think, right. I think Jeff Lowe is number two. I think Carol Baskin is number three to number four, and, and Joe Exotic's number three to number four. I'd probably go Baskin exotic, but I, I, I could be persuaded to move them. I thought Doc Antle was the most reprehensible character in the the entire in the entire um uh documentary. And I think he is a good person to contrast with Carol Baskin because Carol Baskin is putting on this kind of persona persona, but she doesn't really have that much actual natural charm. And I think honestly, like we don't have to go, but I think the fact that she's a woman, I don't think it's like misogyny to hate Carol Baskin, but I think like, just like the fact that she's a woman makes kind of the sanctimonious nature of her character look kind of worse than as if she was a man. Doc Antle is obviously a man with, with some charm, but he's basically running a sex cult. And yep. because he has more money and has kind of a little bit more of a, like, 
not that Joe Exotic had, doesn't have charm also, but he speaks with a little bit more kind of Polish. gravitas. He, yeah. He's slicker. He's more he, – everything seems to be more on the up and up. But you get the sense that he's running things in 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 no better of a way than any of these other CD kind of exotic animal dealers. Um, so the combination of of the sex cult and the kind of uh, hypocrisy that that came off of him was was really really noxious to me, and I, I found myself really hating him by the end of by the end of things. Yeah, I mean, my power rankings of most hated to least hated, I guess, was, I think it was pretty close, but it was, like, the Doc Antle, Jeff Lowe, like, at one and two, and three and four were basking in that. Yeah, that's a fair. I think it was just kind of, like, it's, it's kind of mean for me to say, but I think, like, what Antle has in terms of what exotic doesn't, necessarily have is like the polish of like yeah and the operation that he has in comparison to what like if it was a little bit more methodical and planned out what joe exotic was trying to strive for. yeah um 100 agreed like and it was kind of crazy because exotic would like look to Antle to be like oh he's like a mentor slash like had like aspirational someone, figure kind right, of aspirational figure that he would look towards like I remember him referencing throughout the show like I need like how does Ansel get like four girlfriends or four wives or three wives or whatever like I only have two of them so like it like just like even in like the twisted sick humor that they, he was using there it's just kind of like this aspirational figure that he was trying to strive for um, yeah, the Ansel thing was, like, pretty fascinating just because, like, he, like, he has the polish to, like, you know, kind of, like, be within the Hollywood circles. Like, yeah, that like, they were the displaying. things that came on, when you compare him with Exotic as well, not to cut you off, but, like, yeah. Joe Exotic's throwing out t-shirts at state fairs and, and running kind of this loony campaign for governor, where Doc Ansel was, like, on David Letterman and Jay Leno and stuff like that. He's kind of, like, a figure of of some repute, which 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 seemed kind of crazy once you got into like how he was actually actually running running things at his business. Yeah, and then like the Jeff Lowe character. Oh, he's mean, just obviously a scumbag. So I shady. think he kind yeah. of yeah yeah pretty shady. And then like yeah that and I guess at the end of this like what the takeaway is like my ranking of like. Baskin and like uh, Joe Exotic, like an exotic being number four. Like, I guess maybe I think he has the most redeeming like heart, even though no, he has so that's many. Completely fair. Even though oh. he has so many problems with like, like, like you mentioned before. Can we talk about the Joe Exotic murder for hire plot for a second, or is there anything else you wanted to to touch on before we left? Before we got there, um, I'm trying to think there's like there no there isn't let's get into it right now okay so what did you what did you make of what did you i wanted to know because i i haven't seen that discussed in that much detail i've seen joe exotic the guy kind of talked about a lot and and i think we've touched on that and i think a lot of that is like plain and obvious but i wondered what you 
thought of about kind of the the murder for hire plot that kind of is explored in the last maybe two episodes or so because I thought there were a couple interesting things from a human perspective and even like one or two from from a legal perspective and I wanted to know if I was kind of alone in that or if if maybe more people think are thinking my way than 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 I think so when I was like watching those episodes, like, like if I if this is if this was like the story arc that people were like in on, like I wasn't that interested in it. I was just like, eh, yeah, that's like, fair. Like it was just like, oh, okay, like he's in jail for this, and like, yeah, like, no, I agree, and I and I was trying to say that before too. I think right. it gets weaker as it starts to kind of go into this more true crime slash legal thriller mode. Yeah. So I didn't like find it particularly fascinating and maybe I had my, my brain off brain off for part of it. And like, maybe you can kind of fill in some of the gaps yeah. here. Yeah. I'd but like, I don't know, like in some ways I felt like he was somewhat coerced and like, like, mm-hmm. and like they were kind of like goading him like, Oh, are you going to like, do this are you gonna do that like like and then like whoever the guy that he had hired to murder carol baskin it was kind of like yeah i'll pay you this amount of money to do this and then like it just kind of like snowballed from there once all these like inside guys and people that were getting involved with the government were like yeah really getting involved but it just seemed like he was like this guy that didn't really know what he was getting himself yeah. into. And yeah. he didn't really understand the consequences of like, okay, like if I do this, then, and this happens, like I'm going to jail for it type of yeah. thing. Um, yeah. So, so Mike, you can fill in the gaps there. Yeah. yeah so here, here's my, no, I think you did a good job of, of laying it out. I, I Here's my conspiracy theory, and I think in laying it out, I will tie in maybe any, I will maybe jog your memory somewhat. And I think it is important to point out, like, Joe Exotic, when they're showing his TV show and some of the things he's saying about Carol Baskin, like, I think people kind of let that fly under the, sweep under the rug when, like, he says some pretty, like, horrific and, like, yeah. uh, he does very say like things. hateful things and like yep. it, it, no really nice person I think pretends to like shoot someone in the head on a internet talk show or whatever. Right. But, um, what I think basically happened, and I, I'll I'll lay it all out, is what struck me. What kind of my conspiracy theory is? So in around episode three or four, Joe Exotic gets in to some financial trouble and basically gets in bed with this guy, Jeff Lowe, who is this sort of con man, low level criminally type figure. Would that be a good way to kind of like, yeah, he's like sum him of, up? Right. That's like pretending to have, like he's a con man. basically. Yeah. So yeah. he basically gets his, basically Joe exotic signs over his, his private farm type thing to him. To, to escape Carol Baskin being able to collect on, on all of his assets. So, and then Jeff Lowe goes to Las Vegas and gets himself arrested and basically is either on probation or like if he gets in trouble, he will, um, he will, it seems go to jail for a while. So what I think basically happened, what I, I think happens is 
Jeff Lowe comes back from Las Vegas and quickly realizes that the farm is under some sort of surveillance for probably either animal abuse related stuff or financial stuff or some combination of the two. He realizes that there is some sort of like low level crime going on is Mm -hmm. what I think happens. And you see in the documentary, Jeff Lowe storming into Joe Exotic's office and yelling at him about kind of all of the maybe things going on with his campaign for governor and, and other things. Election law. <laughs> yeah, Election exactly. law violations Exactly. There. Yep, there you go. Um, so I think Jeff Lowe realizes this and realizes, fuck, my name is on this farm, and I am going to get, I am going to get wrapped up in whatever is, is to come, be it some sort of financial crime or some sort of animal abuse-related crime. So he basically concocts this plot to use – uh, Joe Exotic's obvious hatred for Carol Baskin, which to me was probably just all hot air. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't strike me as too far afield that someone who was hateful enough to pretend to shoot someone on his radio or his fake TV show would be have also enough hot air to like kind of bullshit about killing someone and maybe even quote unquote hire someone because there was a they show the, the the government lawyer talking about, like, at some point he even said to a, an undercover agent, like, oh, yeah, I'll pay you to kill her or whatever, but never actually delivered the money. Right. So he, it strikes me as, like, this guy kind of, like, basically jerking himself off by pretending like he had the guts to, to actually do, yeah. do something when he probably didn't. And basically then they leverage that against him with him and this, this other kind of this Jeff Lowe, I forget what his name is, right hand man. Alan guy. Glover. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this other kind of ancillary businessman figure who who I found pretty interesting. James Garrison. And I, think, James and I think he looks like um he looks like what's his name? He looks like Al Davis's son. He he's he's like kind of likable but also very hateable at the same time. And I think yeah. it was probably just going whichever way the wind was blowing. Like, I think the yeah. government probably just had his, had him by the nuts on some other sort of criminal thing. And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll pretty much say whatever. I don't really like any of these people. So um, that that's kind of what I thought was interesting. And the other thing, the one other thing I thought was very interesting from a legal perspective, I think in criminal procedure, I'd, one thing I think they do a good job of saying, and I, I don't know how good Joe Exotic's lawyers were, but he was tried at the end of the day with this murder for hire and this these animal abuse things all in the same trial basically right and i'm pretty sure like when it i think we learned about this in criminal procedure like when you can bring charges together or not Mm -hmm. depends on kind of like whether they're related i think yeah and, like, you're supposed to kind of consider whether they could prejudice, you know what I mean? Like, whether mm-hmm. one would prejudice you on the other. So it's very surprising to me that they were allowed to try a murder for hire and animal abuse charges together. Because I'm guessing they just painted him as such a picture of him as a bad guy that he was found guilty on the other thing as well. So kind of there's my there's my view on that legal thriller side of things maybe people weren't paying as much attention but yeah and i wonder if like he had the right you know 
I think he, I'm pretty sure they said he had like a public defender because of like some of the financial troubles he yeah. had gotten in, himself yeah, into and, and things like that. So just like also another like thing that the public defenders usually don't have that much time to like even prep that thoroughly for a case like that. So it, it'll be, it, it's fascinating on that legal sense of stuff, but even just kind of like, you just kind of felt like he was like the pawn yeah. in in this where he didn't like, he didn't realize what he was getting himself into. And, yeah. and I think one of the things that like was really fascinating to me was like some of the things that he was saying about Baskin without, because his conception of like free speech and the way like he was being able, like, the way he was carrying these things out. Yes, it is free speech and he can say what he wants to say, but does that like necessarily make it acceptable in the societal norm type of thing? Not really. And like, I think people kind of saw that in some of the videos, like it was just like, oh wow, he kind of took it like pretty far. Like you'll see people like on Twitter um, do like some of the things that he did in like written form in some ways, like, you'll see people like, oh, I'm going to do this to such and such person, like, and people like, say, go, like, spout off and like, do those things on Twitter. But like, to have it like, him like, actually vocalize it and say it and have like, actions like him shooting the dummy and, and like, it's just kind of wild to, to see someone like that. Um, and I think, yeah, for like, what was what ended up happening, like the way he ended up getting set up, it it kind of made it seem like that. It didn't seem like it was more out of his like volition to be like, I'm going to seek someone out to like kill Carol Baskin. Yeah. At least that was the impression that I got. Um, yeah. So one of who else did we really want to talk about? We we didn't even get into Doc Antle a little bit, and I think that's, like, a really interesting kind of, like, he wasn't, he was, like, there, but I felt like he was more of, like, this narrator, kind of, like, he doesn't really the story in along. The story as much. Right. He wasn't, like, a central character as much, but I thought he, like you kind of mentioned before, was, like, one of those fascinating guys that was just, like, wow, like, just, he's, like, running a sex cult and, like, utilizing, like, these tigers and, like, furry animals, basically, like, these cubs to, like, entice women to come see him and, like, help take care of him. And, like, it just seemed pretty terrible, like, some of the working conditions that he was, they were, like, um, displaying in terms of, like, never taking that vacation, (laughs) like, never having time off, constantly working um doing all yeah, these, these are things. pretty much the hallmarks of the cult to, yeah, to, to so, be quite honest with you yeah and it was just like you know changing people's identities changing yeah, people's exactly. names like just yeah. classic markers and si- signals of like what a cult actually is um yeah i just found it like he was like one of those guys like man that's someone that people probably should be looking out for um in the future and seeing and then like you had like some of these like other secondary characters that yeah i just found like real like 
there's just some like classic scenes. Like I mentioned the picture of um, Howard Baskin, like dressed up as a tiger and him being on a leash. I, I like cracked out, cracked out, <laughs> cracked up laughing at that. Like uh, James Garrison on the, uh, on the wave runner, basically to the Joe uh, Exotics. We have you haven't even brought up Joe Exotics music videos. Maybe you're Joe, get there. right? Joe Exotics music videos, and like at the time, I was like, "Wow, he's like a legit. He's like he can sing a little bit." And then I found out that he's not even singing any of those songs. So, <laughs> so he was lip syncing all those songs and paid people to write and sing all those songs. So that I found that really fascinating. Um, and, and like, actually, the, I was kind of, like, making this joke to one of my friends, but um, the one redeeming character, the one guy that I was just, like, I think he might be going places is uh, Joshua Dial, who was the uh, campaign manager for, for uh, Joe Exotic. Uh, yeah. Just being able to, like, he was able to leverage his – he was able to go from Walmart gun salesman to – you know, like basically taking care of this guy's campaign. And like he witnessed one of the most horrific things someone can see in, in your life. Like watching like uh, one of uh, Joe Exotic's husbands kill himself. That was ridiculously crazy. Um, but yeah, just like kind of like seeing like his matter of factness of like what everyone was thinking. Like, yeah, I thought he was crazy. Like in, in his interviews and just being like, yeah, he was crazy, but this is what it, what I wanted to do. So that's why I did it. Yeah. No, agreed. He, he's, I've seen that on Twitter and stuff too. And I think he sticks out just because even though there are other nice people who, who worked for him, obviously. um, Yeah. Like he's like the one, like, I think normal guy in the whole, in the whole, uh, in the whole documentary. So, so he kind of sticks out the most. Right. Um, oh, and I wanted to say, as you were kind of listing down like your favorite, like kind of wacky things, I yep. think my favorite, just like one off like detail um, of, of things that I found particularly funny was Carol Baskin starting all of her weird vlogs by saying, Hey, cool cats and kittens. <laughs> it's just like such fourth grade teacher, like weird fourth grade teacher energy. Like I, that was very like, uh, it's kind of one of those things you can't write. But, but before we, we kind of start to wrap this up, I kind yeah. of wanted to turn it, turn it a little bit philosophical for a second. Okay. Cause I actually tweeted about this last night and I don't Got think it. we can, I'm not trying to end it on, on a downer note at all. No, no, but no. I wondered, I mean, cause I'm a pretty like, I like to think of myself like I don't think I'm like you know a, a big moralist or like a big academic or something but but like I said I like to take big picture things and you're someone who I think has looks at things kind of like can look at things ethically and somewhat spiritually and as as it and as kind of the the show was winding down and whatever after these, and like I said, you, I think we both agree that it kind of like peters off a little bit, or at least the, the kind of craziness, because how it was sold to me, not necessarily by you, but like one of my good friends was like, it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. I didn't really find that to be the case. I kind of found that to be the case for the first three, and then the four kind of just like show you kind of the downward spiral, as it were. 
but the way the, 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 the show kind of wraps up, I think does a good job of hammering this home. I, I found myself actually kind of, kind of sad as things were ending. And um, there's, there's something to kind of be said also, like, I think how you look at animals kind of plays into this as well, because I'm not someone, I don't know how you feel about this. Like I didn't grow up with pets. I didn't uh, like, I'm not someone who like loves and like, I think I like animals, but I don't like, like animals. Like I would never like go and do like, I would never want to pet a baby tiger or whatever. I would never want to like, I don't like going to the zoo really that much. And there were certain shots. Of especially Joe Exotic's um, animals that, like, really jarred me and, like, kind of disturbed me in a way. Like, not in, like, a super serious way, but just, like, on a visceral level. Like, they would, when they would be throwing this, like, Walmart meat to these animals and watching them kind of, like, fight over it. And there, there, there's this one shot I can remember specifically. It's kind of, like, after the park has gone to disrepair a little bit and he's breeding more and more tigers to sell off. And they show this shot of, like, it's got to be, like, 20 tigers in, like, pretty full-grown tigers in, like, a moderately sized cage. And they're kind of just, like, pacing back and forth in this, like, spiral. And, like, my body, my brain was just, like, it shouldn't be, you know what I mean? It was, like, they shouldn't be that cramped together. There shouldn't be that many of them. They all look the same. Like, it, it was, like, it was, like, seeing, like, a like in Sim City or something, and you're watching them like walk back and forth and like, it just doesn't seem natural and it bothered me. (laughs) But, but beyond all that, when the, when the, when the, when the show ends, all that was left kind of that I was thinking about was like the, you know, we're human beings and we have our egos or something like, and at the end of the day, these people were all using like humans as pawns also, but just like, using these animals who like really don't know any better and like should be in the fucking jungle. They shouldn't be in someone's backyard, whether in Oklahoma or Florida. I mean, they're an endangered species and using them like to kind of like attract people, be it like romantically, be it like monetarily and be it, you know, whatever else for, for attention or whatever, like, how how not evil but like how bad that fundamentally is like i think it was not everyone took that away as much as i did but it it kind of loomed large for me after after everything ended yeah and I, i found it really yeah it was like one of those saddening kind of like you know people will use anything to get some type of attention to be able to like elevate themselves. And I think that's pretty much like the big takeaway that I took from it. Like, and you know, this, and I think that's what people find fascinating about like true crime documentaries or these Mm -hmm. documentaries that like take a look at this, at like a subject matter, because at the end of the day, it's pretty similar in terms of like, showing a story about some person where they go off the tracks and usually it has to do with an oversized ego or something like that. And I think that's where it, it becomes like this. 
and and you saw degrees of it and in their power rankings from like worst to best kind of like kind of displayed how we saw like the way people utilize these tigers or these uh this wildlife um in the manner that they do and how we rank the i guess like rank those the ethics of like the what of what they're doing like for money is it okay is it okay if it's like for like for love or for like being able to like for like sexual for like the sexual nature of it all or is it kind of like okay for like even this like somewhat moral way of looking at it with the way carol baskin kind of approaches it in terms of like Oh, I'm purely trying to save. Yeah, this is kind of animal. sanctimonious fake, right, uh, right. fake, fake savior complex or whatever. Right, even right. that's ego driven in its own like, way. Is it is that even in itself ego driven, or is it just kind of like because of like all the money that's involved, yeah. especially with like even like the overhead and like like just like looking at some of their financials, like they give, I believe, like. 15% just like to like staff in terms of like it being like, like they need to pay their staff obviously. Um, and then like the rest of it is like tort, like put back to like their foundation or to whatever, to the big cat rescue. Um, but I think a lot of people are saying like, if it's truly something that is out of the goodness of someone's heart, like wouldn't, like you wouldn't really be even doing it for pay. Um, yeah. And would it be charging people eighty dollars to come in to see these animals? Yeah. So like I, so I think that's where like the kind of like rational rationalization comes in, where we like are thinking about like, oh, this person is worse in terms of how they're utilizing uh, these animals uh, for their greater benefit or their greater gain. Um, yeah, and like. I mean, to kind of like echo some of the sense, I didn't grow up with animals or anything like that, but, and it, it kind of like, it saddened me to like, see like the way they were, like some of these animals were utilized. Um, like one of the scenes that kind of was like seared in my memory was when they, when I think Joe Exotic was breeding, um, breeding like tigers and cubs and things like that. And they were kind of showing like the newborns getting like, yeah taken away from the from the animals to like basically like so that they can kind of groom and take care of them and and like basically make sure that they're okay it just kind of was like oh wow like this is like their op mode mode of operation to like make money which is like the sad thing yeah no and that's one of the few times you actually kind of see in that weird way of like them directly intruding on you know the way things things should be as it were and also like it's just weird i don't i i don't who like there's this scene where doc antle's like making a video for instagram and it's like monkeys dressed up in humans clothes like having like a fifth for who fucking likes that shit like what what kind of i need to like talk to someone who like why do people like that? I just don't, I just don't understand. <laughs> I'm not sure. And then, like, it's what, like, who cares? Like, yeah. why is that cute? Or like, I don't, I don't know. It's just weird to me. Yeah. And it's, it's like this kind of like interesting relationship that I think in general that humans have with like 
wildlife and with yeah. like animals in general, like, and what that relationship is supposed to be like and what that relationship should look like and how that should be carried out and what does like preservation look like and yeah like all these different types of like oh yeah we questions of like hunting and like how does hunting totally. like play a yeah. role in like yeah. um like in like the detriment and also the benefit on the flip side of like maintaining like certain populations like totally so so like i think there's like two sides of the coin that and i'm not i've never like gone out to hunt but like i have friends that have gone to hunt like uh different like animals and stuff like that and it's just like a fascinating like um point of view that certain people have in terms of like their relationship with animals and with and, like, this can get blown out to, like, all these other sectors of your life, like how you think about your food and things like that. So Yeah, um, yeah we could spin. As you were talking, like, I was yeah. you especially when you brought up hunting, because you could, you could spin this out forever and ever, and I'm sure people don't think it's, it's that interesting. But it's just, sure. it just you, it, you can kind of take it as, as deep as you want to. And I, I found myself at least thinking about some of that as it was going on. So, so I wanted to ask you maybe um, to, to kind of, to kind of wrap up a little bit, like mm -hmm. if in that, in the hypothetical, I'm just to kind of bring it back to like the way we could to kind of zoom out and bring it back to like media more generally and stuff like that. Do you think at some point we're now getting like the Tiger King movie with, you know, Will Ferrell playing Joe Exotic or whoever? Like, do you think anyone would care about that? Do you think we're going to now get more? Like, is this like the kind of question I'm asking, like, is is this something you view as having a real cultural impact in the long term? Or was this mm. kind of like an interesting curio that was really, really big because we were well, all stuck at our house well i i'm leaning more towards the latter than the former um, yeah me too honestly but it's i mean there's talks about like kate mckinnon kind of like that was kind of talked about her playing uh carol baskin and something like that they're gonna be making in the future um so like there's talks about like extensions and different iterations of like i guess this franchise now but for me, like, you can't really capture the craziness of all of these different characters. Yeah. Um, because they're all, like, real people. And, it, it, like, yes. because it's steeped in reality, you, like, making something like a movie out of it is almost like, why do you even it's beside watch the, a movie? It, it's beside the point. In comedy, they call it, like, putting a hat on a hat. And I think that's kind of what, like, the hypothetical Tiger King movie is. You you put the point exactly right. I just got kind of excited and cut you off. But, like, the whole – they're not – like, yes, they're characters, and that's why people are, like, characters in the sense of, like, being outsized personalities. But it only works because they're real people. Right. You know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. Otherwise, it's just, like, you know what I mean? It's SNL. It, caricature who really cares so i mm -hmm. i agree with you like i i don't see i don't see the point and i do wonder i think there's talk of like they're going to come back for another episode to kind of like 
where things have gone since they finished filming. And I do wonder if there will be some kind of diminishing returns, like if the the singular nature of it kind of uh, probably helped the way people saw it. And, and if uh, I'm not quite so sure that people want these people to be in their lives longer than seven episodes. Exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's just like, it was just a fascinating show to keep my attention for a couple of days during this whole quarantine uh, COVID-19 thing. Um, so it definitely did keep my attention. I was definitely, I think I binged it within two days uh, over the course of two days. So it definitely had my attention, uh, had me gripped from the first episode when uh, the, that lady like had her arm ripped off and like she literally went into work five days later and I was like the work ethic she has in comparison to the work yeah, that ethic I have in, yeah in comparison to the work ethic I have in my life right now going through law school finishing up our last <laughs> semester is just like just the the difference is like from it's it's a wide chasm so um yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. Um, I know there's so much other stuff to talk about. In terms yeah, of I know. Life. Like, I was, like, going to ask you, like, should we come back and just do this or, like, to talk for 10 minutes? Like, I, I don't think we could talk about it for 10 minutes, but we need to, or you need to with your brother or something. Like, we need now, like, a recap, like, a pod on, like, the the sports shit, the, the MLB quarantine bubble idea and like all this stuff about yep. trying to get sports back is that that needs to be its own episode probably but right. i really really am interested in hearing your your thoughts on that stuff yeah i mean i mean yeah we're yeah we might need to do a part two where we just kind of like take like uh maybe next week we'll i'll get you back on the podcast and we'll kind of do like a sports version of like what it's been like a month into this whole quarantine stuff and just like an update in, in like each of the sporting uh, venues and worlds of like what's happening. So I think it's, it'll, that could be a really interesting podcast and like just some, like just some of the things to kind of look out for, um, especially like you mentioned MLB. One of the things that I'm fascinated about by is like some potential IT problems for uh, the NFL draft. Can you imagine mm-hmm. if, like, one team is, like, on the clock and they make their pick, but their internet goes out or something like that, and they have to, like, then, they, like, I think technically if they don't make a pick in time, the the team in front of them gets to choose as well. Like, I, I'm just trying to think of, like, all the potential, like, downfalls of, like, a system where people are drafting virtually, like, they're in like a zoom conference or like in a Skype call. It just, it kind of boggles my mind. And then we even, we like, there's like organizations like the MMA that are trying to like get things going and like rent a private Island. So it's just kind of like these times have brought out like some really crazy sports ideas that I would have never imagined in my life. You're absolutely right. And yeah. There's there's a million things to talk about, so. Yeah, so, Andrew, thanks again for coming on as we talked about uh, some of the things that we're, we're going through uh, during this quarantine and uh, getting in-depth with me on Tiger King, and hopefully uh, you enjoyed it. And for people that haven't watched the show, 
I would encourage them to watch that watch the show just to kind of like fill in the blanks and see uh what like making their own um i guess opinions about how they feel about all these different characters that we talked about so go watch the show it's on netflix um hopefully um we get sponsored by them sometime soon and thanks again <laughs> carol baskin send me send me send me at least a t-shirt or some shit if i'm gonna if I'm going to defend your innocence I know, against, exactly. against the scheming masses, you know? Yeah, we're. I guess we're the podcast now that takes on the, uh, we're the Carol Baskin truthers. I don't know I'm, if that's an island we want. I don't know if Carol yeah. Baskin Island is the is where we want to plant our flag, but yeah, it, is, that, it is. You got to find your niche wherever you can. So Exactly. So, uh, Andrew, thanks again for coming back onto the podcast. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll get back next week as we and get more in depth on the sports world type of stuff. So, cool. thanks and again. And I got a girl with a mind on love. The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up And I'm addicted, I can't get enough